Hello. Welcome to Finding Your Crew and Seeing Yourself in Trek with us, the crew from the Star Trek Discovery podcast. We're so excited to be joining you this evening uh, for Women at Warp's uh, Idig Podcast Festival. Um, I'm Mariah Gossett. My pronouns are she and they. And with me on screen this evening, I have... Mike Garcia, pronouns he and him. Clyde Haynes, pronouns he and him. And Grant Davis, he, him. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here with y'all tonight. Um, Before we jump into our topic, uh, we figured we should probably tell y'all just a little bit about our podcast and uh, a little bit about what we do normally before we uh, get into the subject at hand. Yeah, so we are a... Kind of smart, kind of funny Star Trek podcast and YouTube channel. We call ourselves Star Trek Discovery Pod because we were inspired to come together and start talking about Star Trek as a podcast Um, when Discovery premiered, uh, what, like four years ago in the first season? So we've covered every single episode of Discovery. But as Star Trek has come into this new golden age or new era, we followed suit and we've covered... All of Discovery, all of Picard, all of Lower Decks. We're going to be covering Strange New Worlds. We're going to be covering Prodigy. Anything else Star Trek throws at us, we're going to be covering it weekly with with uh, with in depth episodes. And we also cover classic Trek, um, like during the off season right now. We're checking out all the old Q episodes from TNG, from Voyager, uh, in our Q Explained series, where we're. Uh, kind of re-examining Q with an eye on uh, Picard season two, since Q is going to be back in. So yeah, we do recaps, we do reviews, and we all love Star Trek, and that's that's what brought us together. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that towards the uh, end of today's episode about finding friendships and um, finding your crew, so to speak, uh, within fandoms like in Star Trek. Um So, but first I wanted to talk a little bit about representation in Trek because I think that's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast is how a lot of the series make it easier than other television shows to often see yourself represented on screen, sometimes for the first time, sometimes with characters who react to things more similarly than you um, thought could ever happen. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I want to think about that. I really enjoy that. Uh, so it's something I wanted to talk about with y'all this evening. And we'd also love to hear from you, those of us, uh, those of you who are tuning in to the live stream. Uh, so if you have a particular character that you identify with, if you uh, are into one of the characters we're going to talk about this evening, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so feel free to drop some comments into the chat and we'll try to get to those uh, throughout the throughout the podcast um, and throughout the video here. So I would love to go around the room and hear from y'all about a character from a series that you most identify with. Maybe we can, I have Mike starting, but Mike already talked. So if someone else wants to jump in, they can. (laughs) I I cede the floor. All right. (laughs) Clyde, do you want to start? Sure. I'll jump in. Um, And and I'll try and be somewhat brief. There are three characters that really, stood out to me. And I think part of that is because Star Trek for me has been part of my life and not just this 
TV show at one time. And so I think as I've grown and I've learned more about myself, Star Trek has actually helped me identify pieces of, of who I am on screen. And so first, um, I think early on, it was Lieutenant Jordy LaForge. Um, and that was, uh, you know, from TNG, from The Next Generation. And for so many reasons. One, I grew up watching Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton. Um, and so it was like, wow, this is a friend. And there are stories. Um, most people know him from from Reading Rainbow and now Star Trek. But there are stories of that my my parents and my grandparents will tell that when Roots first aired on television, um, LeVar Burton played Kunta Kinte or Toby. Um, and the story is that I was kind of hanging out and hiding kind of underneath the kitchen table where they were watching Roots. And they forgot I was there because normally I'm making a lot of noise. Um, but I was so into what's going on that I was just sitting and watching. And they all left the room. And I come running out of the room yelling, mommy, 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 they're hurting Kizzy. Um, and they realized that I was kind of watching this. And so LeVar Burton is, as an actor, someone who I feel like I've grown up with. So to see someone um, who is smart, uh, sometimes awkward, uh, has trouble with the ladies, um, you know, in romantic situations, um, but is also a, a very valuable part of the crew, but he looked like me, um, was really significant because it was, you know, I, I grew up, I was born on the south side of Chicago, but I moved to a suburb of Dallas where there wasn't a lot of representation of people who look like me in real life. So to turn on television and see a smart, articulate, nice, uh, thoughtful person who was a critical piece of this, this ensemble meant a lot to me. And I gravitated toward that. Um, and as someone who would later want to be an engineer, it, it was part of who I identified with. And then there was Worf, who at first I was like, oh, I'm not really interested in Worf. But what I realized with Worf was you've got this character who is part Klingon, but was raised by um, a human family and had this different culture and never really felt like he was accepted by either. So for me, as a black man who was nerdy and scientific um, and loved computers from the dawn of computers, um, I often felt like I never fit into both of these worlds. So watching Worf navigate this, particularly as I got a little bit older, it, it helped me understand that I wasn't alone in navigating this. And then, you know, Mike and I talk about this all the time. Mike knows that my favorite Star Trek series is The Next Generation. Um, I'm less of a fan of Deep Space Nine because I like the space opera. I need a ship that is a center piece of the episode, right? And the runabout is not a ship. Um, it is a <laughs> the defiant is a ship. The defiant, the defiant is the def the, the defiant is a souped up shuttlecraft. Um, <laughs> but I want a big ship, right? But I later realized that it was incredibly important for me to see Cisco, right? Now, James Avery is an incredible actor and, and I have some, I have some interesting thoughts about him being this theater actor in this TV show, but what he gave me 
was a picture of not only, you know, people point to the fact that he was a black captain and he was a leader and that's significant, but he was also a dad. So later on, as I started to understand myself as a father, I looked back at Cisco and kind of watching in reruns and was able to watch the nuances of what it was like to be a leader in charge, but also a father. And when I thought back about how often we see positive images of black fathers on television, I realized that Star Trek was actually at the forefront of putting those images out there. And so I can go back now and still, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later and see myself in Star Trek, it it means a lot to me today and not just then. Yeah, I think that's so interesting that you've been able to like have these sort of like markers throughout your, uh, I mean, throughout your life, really, like all these different pinpoints. It's like in younger years, it might have been Jordy. And then like, as you got older, you found those qualities in Worf. And then with with Cisco, it's something that you can still look back on today. So I think that's really neat. Hey, Clyde, was yeah. it uh, you mentioned every Brooks and Cisco. Was it maybe not until you became a parent that that you started to recognize or kind of see yourself in Cisco or see the importance of Cisco since he was such a great father on TV? Yeah, that that's exactly it. I mean, I think when I originally watched it, I was just like, okay, yes. And and especially as a as a teenager, it was kind of like, yes, I get it. He's a black captain, he's a black leader, great. Um <laughs> Yes, that's important. I can recognize that. But I just wasn't enjoying it. And then when I went back as a father and start, because because I think that Jake, his son, I found annoying, <laughs> right? I, it, it was one of those things where I often talk about having to relate to characters to really be able to dig into them. Mm-hmm. And Jake was someone that I just couldn't relate to, right? We were supposed to be the same age, but the things that he does and the trouble he gets into, I just, I, I can't quite relate to. Now I look back and go, Cisco's constantly trying to lead this ship and or this station and these people, right? He's new. He's a bit of an outsider. He's discovering who he is as a prophet and or an emissary and all these other things while trying to keep his son out of trouble and missing and mourning his wife. I get that so much more now in this stage of life than I ever could as a 16, 17, 18 year old. And it means a lot that I go back and I see him so differently today than I did then. Yeah, that's interesting. That's fantastic. Um, Can we get uh, Rurian Fane has a great comment in the chat that I would love to see brought up. Um, yeah. Uh, so Ruin says, I feel seen as a neurodivergent woman with Tilly, seeing her in loving friendships and being taken seriously slash treated like an equal crew member and doing awesome Starfleet stuff is very empowering to me. Um, yeah, Tilly, Tilly is one of those, I mean, not only as like a person with like very, uh, curly hair, (laughs) seeing that on (laughs) television. Um, but I, I love, um, Tilly's, the way that they don't make anything that's different about Tilly into a joke is something that I really appreciate. Cause I think oftentimes when there are those sort of differences um, from the, 
cultural norms like that you normally see, especially on television for women. Um, oftentimes that means you're also the butt of the joke or just the comedic timing person. And I think Tilly plays such an important role on Discovery. I also love the fact that one thing that's important to for me about Tilly is that Tilly is a she's she's a she's many great things and you know if you listen to Discovery Pod it's no secret that I think that she's attractive but that's not what is central to who she is on that show mm-hmm. right and so it it's it, it she's she's it's about so much more her growth her strength her compassion right and and her not having to live up to any type of archetype um I, I love that about Tilly. She, she's absolutely one of my favorite characters on Discovery. I think we've all talked around this before, but I think we all re- can really relate to Tilly. And I think um, a huge amount of the fandom can too, because Tilly is a Star Trek fan who is in Star Trek. And she's someone who ha- we've seen grown and become capable of handling that captain's chair. Mm-hmm. And if I was in Star Trek, that's what I would aspire to. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I see her as an aspirational character for sure. Absolutely. Um, Grant or Mike, did you want to jump in? Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Well, well, oh no, a tie. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and go first. Um, I came into Star Trek with Star Trek Discovery. I've never watched uh, Star Trek previous to this, so. Um, this is my entry point into uh, the whole world. I'm still pretty unfamiliar with uh, the other properties, although um, these three have roped me into watching a few episodes here and there. <laughs> it's working. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, as, as a uh, as a geeky white guy, it has not been um, hard for me to uh, find myself in a lot of characters in other television shows. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I can often find elements that I, I can identify and relate with, um, that that degree of representation, um, but my my entry point into Star Trek being Discovery, um, one of the first people I did identify with was actually Tilly. Who I, I mean, you guys already mentioned it as well, but um, Tilly uh, act, was acting you know as an ensign, as a little bit of the audience surrogate, you know, asking questions and um, being a little bit less familiar, which was helpful to me because I'm like, I actually don't know the world of, of Trek. I don't know uh, what's going on with stuff. Um, she has, uh, she, she is um, funny and lighthearted and she doesn't take everything uh, too seriously. She's, um, she, she's lovable and she is uh, genuine and sincere and she she kind of has this uh, this degree of, of reverence for for the ship for the property um, for all of it and all those qu- qualities as well as you know a little bit of uh, the awkwardness in in how she relates things all of those uh, I immediately gravitated toward and I was like okay I love this character and this is a great um, character to latch on to as my entry point into. Uh, figuring out the dynamics of the rest of this Discovery crew. You know, as we've gone on and watched uh, some of these other shows, I've, uh, you know, we've watched Lower Decks, and I I see similar qualities in um, Boimler and in how, you know, I'm I'm geeky. I do a whole bunch of really geeky podcasts, and uh, (laughs) Boimler's a geek. 
Uh, Boimo is also um, extremely uh, highly efficient and capable, and those things I do not relate to. But in in how awkward he is, and and how he relates to um, um, Mariner and uh, their friendship, um, how he he can take a joke generally, um, you know, I I appreciate that character, and I, I thought it was another fun. Um, entry point into um, lower decks. Uh, as far as Picard, the the third show I have seen thus far, I don't relate to any of them. <laughs> Unrelatable, those people. <laughs> no, That's but, fine. I, I mean, it's fun, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, definitely, I would say Tilly, and then maybe to a little a lesser extent, Boimler would be my entry point characters. I really, I really like actually Grant because I feel like when you Google things about, you know, like Star Trek and representation, like I don't think I've ever seen anything about Boimler as of yet. Mm. And so I feel like that's like a fun new thing to think about, especially because I don't know if folks automatically run to the, the animated shows as like a place that they want to like, I don't know, immediately reference. And, and I, I mean, honestly, I'm so excited about lower deck season two. I'm like, I can't wait. I'm really excited. I think they're getting so creative with that property. Um, it, it is not unfamiliar for me to be compared to a cartoon character at times. I see so, that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. It's okay. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you've actually been a cartoon character, haven't you? I've seen several doodles and drawings of you over the years, and maybe some animation. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> Halfway there, halfway there. We will get Grant Davis on an episode of Lower Decks. Oh my mm. God! Yeah, someday. <laughs> Start the campaign now. Start it. What now. about you, Mike? Um, I guess who? Uh, I guess there are a couple of characters that I I really relate to and have meant a lot to me, um, over the last several decades. And one of them starts with my, uh, I guess my Star Trek origin story, how I came into Star Trek. You guys know that I started watching TOS as a kid. Thought it was interesting, didn't really know what was happening. I was a, a little tiny boy with a tiny brain, and I was like, ooh, space things. But the first time Star Trek blew me away, and to this day, it's why I love this movie, was the uh, the William Shatner masterpiece, the Shatner piece, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Oof. And there is talk a about scene. Those whales. <laughs> no, that's four, my friend. Yes. Uh, but in Star Trek V, which I know is revered by the fandom, uh, I saw it when I was a kid, blew me away. Uh, and there was a scene. I'd, I'd known Spock. I'd watched Spock in TOS, but I was a kid. I didn't really pick up on a lot. But at this point, I'm like locked into this movie. I'm like, wow. They're, they're, Kirk is fighting a, a cat woman, maybe <laughs> murders her by throwing her in a pool. Uh there are horses with unicorn uh, things. It's a crazy movie, and I'm locked in. And then we get to like close to the third act, and there's that actually one of the best, if not the best, uh, scene in the movie where um, Cybok, one of like the greatest characters ever, um, is trying to uh, kind of mind meld with everybody and manipulate everybody. And there's that great scene where um, our favorite irascible doctor, uh, Bones McCoy, um, is uh, watching his father die, and it's it's really potent. Um, and then uh, we get right after that, or maybe it's before that, we get this great scene with Spock, and we get to learn about Spock's deepest pain. Uh, 
and Spock deep, Spock's deepest pain was being rejected by his father on the day he was born. And that identified um, kind of his course or set his the course of his life from that point on. And Spock is a multicultural or bicultural character. And at that point, watching that as a kid, I realized what was going on. I was like, oh, Spock is half human and half Vulcan, and he can't live in either world completely. So he always feels like an outsider. And it causes issues with the people close to him, including his father. That um, really meant a lot to me. And it's meant a lot to me over the years. And I'm glad that they picked up on that in the uh, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. I thought that was that was a, a great way to bring Spock back to the uh, to the culture. Um, and the reason I identified with that is because I'm I'm also a bicultural person. My the my mother's side of the family is from Mexico. My father's side of the family is uh, from Mexico and Ukraine. And I've you know I grew up in a Spanish speaking household um, as. And many people tell me I'm white presenting, <laughs> which I am. And it's it's been kind of um, in in two worlds, you know. And I've always felt a part of two worlds, but kind of floating in between both. It's really hard to – I've never really shared much of my bicultural and multi- multicultural experience and how it, how it shaped me, but it really has. And – Another character I think that I think we can all uh, think about when we think about bicultural or multicultural Star Trek characters is Belana Torres, played by the great Roxanne Dawson, who herself is of Hispanic descent. Um, it was just cool watching Star Trek Voyager for the first time and seeing somebody with a Hispanic surname on Star Trek, and she's a Klingon. And she's fucking badass. And and she defected from Starfleet, you know? And then she grows and learns and changes. And I think in Voyager, uh, her issues and her struggles with her uh, bicultural background were highlighted uh, more intensely sometimes than Spock's. And mm-hmm. something – and maybe I didn't really understand it when I was watching it when I was younger, but something about that always drew me to that character. And now I get it because I was relating to it so much growing up as a, a bicultural person who spoke Spanish at home, spoke English at school, and kind of was straddling these two worlds. And Star Trek was the first property on television in movies that that presented that to me. And – because growing up as a bicultural person, it's hard to completely relate to to one thing. You know, sometimes you sometimes I feel like Boimler. I'm I'm the I'm the the dorky you know white guy who's a Star Trek geek. But you know, sometimes I feel I feel like Taurus. I'm I'm from two worlds, and I struggle one with one world more than the other. And sometimes that changes, and I'm confused about how I um, how how to identify myself sometimes, and and that's just a struggle that I deal with, um, and it, it's something that kind of affects me every day. But to see characters like Spock and 
characters like Taurus uh, struggle with that and work through it and still become characters who are extremely aspirational. Um, that was that was really very influential to me. And yeah, thank you, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah that's um, and I. I don't know if you remember a lot of the beats of that episode, but there's the episode of, of Voyager where uh, Bolana is having to decide if she wants to es- essentially genetically alter her child yeah. to yes. uh, have Klingon traits or yeah. not. And I, and I so appreciate that um, in so many Trek properties, there are conversations about uh, not only culture, but uh the erasure of culture as well. And like, what does that do to future generations and like, how does changing cultures really affect future generations too? I mean, half the conversations around prime directives, right. is like, how do you make sure you don't mess up people's like cultural heritage and cultural moments and like making sure people are progressing as they would normally progress without Starfleet interference. Right. Um, So, yeah. Thank you for Very sharing. Very true. Yeah, and there's nothing cuter than a little baby with some Klingon head ridges. You got you you got to keep that baby with a head ridge. It's so cute. <laughs> there's an episode of um, Voyager that we did. I think we did a watch along for a few weeks ago, uh, where Torres is kind of trapped in a research facility, and genetically they split her in two. Mm-hmm. Um, a full Klingon version and a fully human version. And they talked to her about would she want to live life as just one of those? And, you know, because she, she has struggled with this sense of um, being pulled emotionally, culturally by these two parts of her and would it just be easier and to watch her go through this and to, to go, yes, it's going to be tough, but this is who I am. I, I think for all of, of all of us who feel like I am, I don't, you can't put me in a box that I'm multiple things that it speaks to us on a level that just goes, thank you for, for saying out loud what I couldn't articulate. And I feel like that's what I get in Star Trek all the time is you're saying something you're you're talking about a world that i want to live in and you're expressing feelings when you take all the stuff that we deal with on a daily basis violence poverty racism sexism you take all those things away and you're still going hey here are the things inside of us that we're struggling with that's star trek very much very much and i love that you mentioned that episode where balana is split in two because yeah, I remember that, and I remember thinking about that. I have thought about that many times, you know, um, not to get too deep into it, but, yeah, passing as white obviously has its privileges that, I, you know, I, you do struggle with. And trying to be true to who you really are uh, growing up as a, a bicultural person is is di- can be very difficult. But But what that episode did and what Star Trek has done since – uh, since it gave us Spock, was show us uh, the kind of the spectrum of all of these characters and all of these different species. Um, Clyde, DS9, your favorite. 
Okay, maybe not. Maybe my favorite. <laughs> uh, DS9 did a great job of taking characters to Ferengi who are really just originally defined by certain characteristics or stereotypes. Oh, Ferengi like money and, and they're greedy. And showed us a spectrum of Ferengi and how they can change and grow and who they are inside and made them actual characters. And I think that's one of the things Star Trek does best. People on the outside of the fandom looking in are like, okay, Vulcans are the logical ones with the pointy ears, Ferengi like money, Klingons like to fight. But if you watch the show, those stereotypes exist so the show can um, grow them, change them, and show you the spectrum of all of those cultures um, and show you that uh, a, a society, a culture, uh, can be much more than what um, they're defined by from the like 360 worldview, like looking far away. If you dive into a culture, you realize the, the rainbow of the spectrum, and that's mm -hmm. what Star Trek shows us. I love you bringing that up because, you know, one of the things that we commonly talked about with uh, at least the first season of Discovery was uh, how frequently, oh, and, and Clyde disappeared, uh, <laughs> how be frequently back. we discussed um, the exploration of the duality of characters, especially mm -hmm. like in relation mm -hmm. to identity, like um, taking a look at uh, Michael Burnham and Michael Burnham was of, of two worlds as well. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, human raised, raised by get it right. Grant, um, full things. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> um, good job, Grant. Small victories. Uh, you know, uh, the, the characters that ended up coming from the mirror verse, including, um, including Lorca and mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the split uh, personality and, 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 you know, later Giorgio as well. Um, uh, Saru being from being a Kelpian and being torn between um, his people and um, mm -hmm. fleeing from his people to join Starfleet, and you know, a lot of that exploration is this idea of um, of of characters who who struggle with um, who they are and how they they come to terms with with rectifying these these separate parts of themselves and. And when they don't find that they have a, a place in either one camp or the other, they seem to have their found family with, with each other, which, uh, you know, as, as a, a, a Trek newbie, I, I also I, I'm really appreciating how I keep seeing this repeated theme in their shows. Absolutely. Um, Sarah Styles on Facebook uh, has popped in and says, this is why I love Trek. I have a disability and chronic illness, ASD and PTSD. And I felt like I had no purpose and felt useless being in bed so much, but Trek always stopped me from getting disheartened because it reminded me we all have purpose no matter what. Um, thank you for sharing that, Sarah. That was, um, you know, that's, that is something I think about a lot because it is sort of this like aspirational culture at times, but I appreciate that the characters don't ever have to be 100% like, I don't know, what is that? Like the spectrum of aspiration, right? Like they're still, they are still growing and trying to be aspirations of themselves and not yeah. just like, I am a perfect cookie cutter person. Like I'm the perfect hero or I'm the perfect villain, right? Like everyone has these very multi-dimensional aspects to them for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Jara Hodge brings up, curious your thoughts on the expectation that Trek characters be aspirational, nearly infallible role models who always strive to better themselves and the rest of humanity versus the characters we see in the newer shows, including Lower Decks. And, you know, I think we've been, and 
and I can kind of chime in. So the the person I was going to talk about tonight, I think, is uh, pretty obvious. <laughs> if anyone listens to our podcast, it's going to be Janeway. Um, no. I know. What a shocker. <laughs> shocker. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, Jane, uh, Voyager was my gateway into, into Star Trek. I started watching it when it was on reruns, um, in the, the late nineties on, on UPN <laughs> and, um, and it was just this block of TV where my, my family would sit down and we would watch this, um, together. And I just remember seeing, uh, a woman who was in charge, but who was not perfect, and I think that's what I appreciated. I mean, I don't think I had these thoughts and realizations as a, a, a kid in the 90s. You know, I think I was just like, oh, she's in charge. Look at her go. I want to be in charge someday. You know, like those sort of, of thoughts and feelings there. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten to be able to appreciate the complexities of her character and the fact that she did have to make a lot of tough decisions. They weren't always the right decisions or seemingly the right decisions in the beginning. Um, and she was someone who was able to, I think, have a sense of leadership, have a sense of her femininity, but also having a sense that the femininity didn't define who she was either, um, which I appreciated. Like, you know, there'd be love interests for me from time to time, but that was never her main storyline. Right. And I think at the time, especially in the, the late nineties, like most TV shows, if they had a main character who was a woman, she was on the path to finding love was like that sole purpose for this character. And this was a woman I was watching whose sole purpose was to make sure her crew was safe and to, um, be a leader and to explore strange new worlds and to like find um, find a way home for her team. And I often think about um, Scorpion one and the two, the two parter where we finally get seven of nine as well, who is a character I also um, love and I'm loving where she, her character's going in Picard. So that might be a new one that's added to my, my sort of repertoire of lists here soon. But um, I think the two of them for me, together and especially when we're introduced to seven of nine with Janeway is when I got to see someone who's willing to make choices that might not be popular, but that they think is correct. And I really admired that because I think when you're especially like a preteen, all you want is for people to like you. <laughs> and so you're just like, Oh man, I just really hope these popular kids don't make fun of me today. <laughs> like <laughs> this would be great. Um, and, you know, she was someone who is willing to be disliked to, to make sure um, what she thought was right actually happened, which I, which I really appreciated. Um, and then, yeah. And I mean, Janeway is also such a, uh, there's many silly fun moments on Voyager as well as we've seen, or Grant maybe has not seen as many of them, but <laughs> that happens throughout that series too. And so I appreciate that she is um, a character that can have joy as well. Cause I think sometimes when we get really serious characters in dramas, even today, often joy is left um, on the table for character development. And so I always appreciated that there were those, those moments for her character as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a bit about, 
about Janeway. And then um, a newer person I definitely wanted to bring up because it's, I think, a character I've been craving. And I think a lot of people in the fandom has been craving is the character of Adira. And I having someone on screen who is non-binary or part of like the gender non-conforming community, the greater LGBTQIA community. Um, I think it's just so important. Like, uh, like I'm someone who's still very much on like this, like gender expression journey. And so it's like kind of nice to see that on screen as someone who's also going through that similar process. Um, and I think it's like, uh, I obviously love Colburn Stamets as well, but I think often when we're opening doors for the LGBTQIA plus community, it, it typically has to start with um, queer men often, it seems, um, or, or cis queer women, because it's like these versions that society has decided is like palatable. And so I think it's so incredible that by the third season, we have both trans and non-binary characters on on screen. So I'm I'm so excited to see what happens with the dearest character. I thank you for sharing all of that. I I want to say I was always inspired by Janeway's integrity, and with you mention mentioning Adira, same thing. In that scene where she's talking to Stamets in season three, and she she wants to be identified. Adira wants to be identified as them because at that point, I think everyone was calling Adira she. She, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. The, there was a presumed gender identity, and exactly. and I and I yeah. love that we got to see a character say like, "Hey, like that's that's not who I am anymore." Right. And everyone was so willing to be like, "Absolutely, like let's that's that's what you say, and we're going to take it at face value." Thank you for letting us know. You know, exactly. Yeah, and and um, I was really inspired by. Adira's integrity in that moment as well, just like I was inspired by Janeway's integrity. You know, Mike, one of the things that you've always said on our show is that um, Star Trek does a phenomenal job of kind of representing some of the things that are going on today. Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost a, a it's a bit of a time capsule. And some of that's sometimes that's really positive. And as we we talk in other areas, it can be negative when we look back and we're kind of watching old shows and going, wow, this is what we thought then. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things and Grant, you know, you always talk about how storytelling has changed from the 90s to today. And so when I think about these characters, one of the things that I love is that you know, we talk about the characters of Cisco and Janeway and Worf and these, they're these archetypes that where they are aspirational. Oh, I want to be like that. What I love about some of the characters that we've mentioned today, the newer characters, even the, the Boimlers, um, the, the, the Tillies, the Adiras, is that they don't have it figured out. Right. That they, you know, what we, we haven't talked about is Michael Burnham, right? Mm-hmm. Who over the course of discovery, we see someone who who has grown, made mistakes, learned from those mistakes, made some more mistakes, and is growing. And I think we've watched Discovery for three seasons now. And I think when we first started, we really thought this was going to be a journey kind of like old Trek. And she was going to get that captain's seat pretty early, 
right? Or if it was going, if she wasn't, it was going to be a story about how she was the most ready, capable person on the show. And what we found is that the journey has been really important to see her grow. And so I think when we look at Trek today, we're seeing, I don't like the term flawed characters, but we're seeing characters with growth potential Mm -hmm. who grow and who develop. Um, and, And in a way, there's a new message that says, hey, you don't have to be Janeway. Right. You don't have to be Picard in a sense of you have to have it figured out. Mm-hmm. Right. You can grow and make mis- mistakes. And that's good, too. Very much. I that reminds me of this Twitter thread, this unfortunate Twitter thread, but had a happy ending at the end that I saw today <laughs> where there was a, a fan who um, uh, uh, struggled for years to find to express their fandom in a way that they wanted to which was cosplay um not a sewer not a crafty person wanted to buy a star trek uniform and just struggled to find one that would fit her body found one found one put it on loved the way she looked made a video crying saying look at me i i finally found cosplay that fits I feel amazing, right? And uh, outpouring of joy and 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 happiness, right? Followed, and then, unfortunately, I don't want to talk about trolls too much, but here come the trolls, and they're saying, "Hey, that's not what Star Trek is about. Star Trek is about uh, you trying to be your best self and aspiring to to fix yourself and fix your body and to be right and be perfect," and uh, which. It's not what Star Trek's about. Uh, we're talking about aspirational characters for sure, but these are not perfect people in any way. And uh, it was wonderful to see the community come and educate this person, and not in a negative way, but with examples of characters, all the characters we've been talking about tonight. Mm-hmm. These characters, the society they live in is aspirational, and they are aspirational characters, but they are not perfect people. And Star Trek has room for every type of person. Yeah, that's actually it was um, Kennedy from from Women on, at Warp. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that thread. I was. I mean, one. I'm so stoked for Kennedy to to have like an incredible uniform and be so excited. I'm so excited when we can finally all con together and like see all of the many projects that the people who can so have been putting together and. Um, yeah, I'm I'm like so excited. And it kind of that's a it's a nice segue, Mike, into the idea of finding kind of friendships through these different fandoms. And I know it's like I have especially through the pandemic, I think I've made more Trek internet friends in the last year um than I've probably I mean, than I've probably made in person just cuz sometimes I find conferences really intimidating because it can often if you talk to the wrong person be that I have to top your knowledge kind of exchange (laughs) especially as a woman at some of these conferences but um but yeah it's like so wonderful to have these like really supportive friend groups and you have this like commonality of something that's exciting that you love that you want to talk about um and I mean and the most obvious one I can think about is the 
four of us, right? Like we all grew up in very different places around the country. Um, we all grew up in very different households. We all grew up in these different ways of life. And like, and now we all get to talk about Star Trek once a week. And it was really Star Trek that spawned our friendship. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear if, if y'all have any other experiences and, and Grant, if it doesn't have to be Star Trek, if you, if no, no, you no, want no, to no, cite no. another fandom. No, I, I would love to talk about the Star Trek fandom because, you know, I avoided Star Trek for decades. I was always in like, oh, I'm, I'm in the Star Wars camp and I, I love uh, Marvel stuff and I like Lord of the Rings and then Harry Potter. You know, I, I like all these other fandoms, but for some reason, I never really clicked with Star Trek. And then my outsider's perception also for decades of what a Trekkie was, um, was definitely molded by um, some some poor information and, and poor uh, characterizations out there uh, of of this very gate creek, uh, gatekeeping type of audience that is um, closed off and protective and and rude uh, if you do not understand or get the details right of, of every little nuance that is Trek. And I have to say that, you know, since we started this podcast and we started uh, watching the show and interacting with um, the audience, the experience I've had of what Trekkies are is completely the opposite. <laughs> it is so warm and embracing and, um, and, and loving and understanding. I get things wrong all the time. I, I confuse Klingon and uh, Vulcan okay. uh, to the point where it's become <laughs> a running joke. Um, and I, I don't find the hostility and negativity that, you know, I, I've seen from other other areas of the internet. I, I just am so impressed by the uh, the the friends and and family network that that revolves around this particular uh, franchise. And I, I think it is a testament to the types of stories that Trek tells and the type of people that this resonates with. That it's it's really warm and um, and loving, and I appreciate that. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, welcome. I'll I'll tell a story. You guys have heard this, but um, the pandemic, the the last year or so, um, has probably been one of the hardest years of my life. Like, it's just been, for a number of personal reasons, it's been really, really tough. Um, But what I never expected was how Star Trek and Star Trek fans would be so important to me. And so, you know, this, the story is we talk about Trek and we talk about a lot of Trek. And if I say it's been a long time, then Mike starts singing. Um, <laughs> from that so, and so there's been an ongoing joke that I, for a long time that I would say, I don't really count, Enterprise as an actual Star Trek series, right? Like a bold statement. It's a bold statement, right? Absolutely. I love Scott. I love Scott Bakula, but it's my least favorite Star Trek franchise. And so people would talk about episodes, and I would go, "No, no, no, I'm not going to watch it." And we have a, you know, we've got a Patreon channel and a Slack channel where they do watch alongs all the time. 
Like every day of the week, there's a bunch of Star Trek fans who get together and they watch and they open up the Slack and they they chat through. Um, and we've been doing this this podcast for years now, and I hadn't really been on the Slack and done some of this stuff. And in one of our podcasts, I made a comment like, look, I've got friends who try to point me to Enterprise episodes. I'm just not interested. And in our live chat, we had a few of our listeners who said, hey, Clyde, if you come to our Tuesday's Enterprise Watch Along, we'll pick an episode that we think you'll like. And when they called me out on the show, kind of on our pod, I said, okay, well, I have to. Right. If you do that, I will show up. And I did. And what I did not expect was the outpouring of acceptance, of compassion. And no one knew what was going on kind of in my personal life or how hard it's been or the bouts of depression that I was going through. No one knew. But this fan base, we would come together on Tuesday nights and we would just watch Trek and they were happy to see me and we had jokes and it became this lifeline to me in a, in a really dark moment, right? Of this place where I could go and feel accepted and laugh and joke about what we're seeing and question what we see and kind of be me. And I realized that that's what Star Trek and the people who watch Star Trek has always been. It's a place where we often can come and just be our whole selves. Um, and so when we talk about what has this community been to me, and there are other times in my life that I look up and go, you know, fans have shown up. Um, like this group, this, these fans will always be really special to me. Um, how they showed up to me when I needed them without knowing it. I love hearing that. And yeah, I want to second that because I, I'm an emotional person when we talk about Star Trek, when we talk about anything, I speak from the heart, often not from the brain. And our everyone who – our whole community that has come together around this podcast, our listeners, uh, our Slack members have been so great. When I speak from the heart and I'll make a mistake uh, about continuity or about a character or anything, and they come back to me with education and love, not – you hmm. got this wrong. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be on a podcast about Star Trek. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it's kind of what Grant has been saying too. Like he is, he didn't grow up with Trek and sometimes he gets stuff wrong, but people love him. They still love him. How Do can you not love okay. that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even when you call Avery Brooks, James Avery, they still <laughs> love you. That was you. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I'm say, sorry. We all have those moments, but, um, but yeah, I, I agree with y'all so much. It's been so lovely having like y'all and, and all of the, the internet, internet friends I've been able to, to make over this. And I appreciate, um, you know, especially with, um, the community we've been so lucky to build with our, with our podcast that, um, I feel like everyone is so comfortable to learn from each other within that community. So when it's like, when we are talking about some of these topics that are a, about current things going on in the world and we can all chime in and, and have like an open and honest conversation and know that no one's coming from places of, of hostility, right? Like everyone is just genuinely trying to be the best versions of themselves. And I think, I think to me, that is the aspirational 
moment that I take away from from Trek is just to be the best version of yourself, you know, and that might look different day to day, depending on what's going on in your life. And it might look different season to season for all the characters that we that we get to see. And, and I think even from from 90s Trek all the way to, to current day, we get the opportunity to watch a lot of these characters try to be the best versions of, of themselves in that moment. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, well, we are about to run out of time here fairly soon. So I just wanted to check in if y'all had any other thoughts or characters you wanted to, to talk about before we kind of hit our wrap up here. Um, I'm glad that uh, Grant and Clyde uh, brought up, and you too, Mariah, everybody kind of brought up uh, a lot of the new Trek characters. Uh, and and there was a comment somewhere here, I don't remember who said it, but it's great to um, the Star Trek podcast I listen to um, talk about the new characters with the same reverence as they talk about uh, Picard or Kirk mm-hmm. or Spock. Because those characters uh, are just as rich and interesting. Uh, here we are. It's from Susan Time. I love chatting. I love chatting with Trekkies like Grant, who reference the newer shows. Boimler, Lorca, Tilly. These are all fantastic Trek characters who stand up alongside our nostalgia characters. Susan, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That wraps my sentiment up perfectly. And I think it's I think it's gonna be really fun in a in a few years to think about the the people who are coming into uh, the Trek franchise with New Trek and having all of these same like nostalgia memories that um, like the three of us have for for some of the characters from uh, from '90s Trek and and I'm so excited that folks get to have that experience as well like within their contemporary timeline. I'm so excited to become the new generation of, uh, of Trekkie gatekeeper. <laughs> I must quiz you to, tr- to prove if you are a true Trekkie or not. Listen to me, my riddle three. <laughs> <laughs> From what planet haileth Saru? I, I know we're about to, to wrap, but Sarah Stiles has just commented. Uh, she says, I'm new here and don't know if you've talked about Roe. I'd be interested in that. I, I want to briefly say, um, Ensign Rolaren and major uh, major Kira Narice, I think brought something to track that to this day is understated and this representation of a people who have been op- oppressed mm-hmm. um, and what that's like and how because so much about Trek has been we're in the future and there's this utopia and we've gotten rid of those things that have that have plagued us and they have given voice to people who have been marginalized um, and when I say voice, I think what I see in those two characters in particular is what happened to me isn't just over and I'm over it, mm-hmm. but I carry that with me. And you have to accept that my reality today has been imprinted because of what happened to me and my people. Um, and it's so interesting that we were talking about Trek that's 20 plus years old and I look at that message and how it rings out today and it speaks to me as though I'm hearing it for the first time so when you talk about those characters they do hold a very special place to me in my heart um, when I think about an oppressed people I, I yeah I second that thanks for sharing that and yeah Mariah and I did do special episodes about Ensign Rowe and uh, Kira 
uh, on our on our Patreon. So if you guys want to check that out. Yeah. You can. And since we are wrapping up, we figured we hope you've liked what you've heard so far um, and that you can join us. We will uh, we typically live stream on Thursday uh, evenings at 9 p.m. Central Time. Um, but there's lots of ways to find out about our schedule. Can you tell me about it, Grant? Yes, I can. Uh, one of the ways is uh, you can listen to our podcast. We, have, of course, go up like Mariah was saying on uh, Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can check us out there and, and subscribe. But if you also want to listen, you can go to StarTrekPod.co and you can check out our podcast there. Um, we would appreciate uh, you uh, checking us out either way. But if, if you do watch the live ones, we can directly engage with you and you know bring your comments in while we're while we're talking about it. And it's a lot more fun and enriching of an experience for us when we get to directly engage with you and get your input as well, because um, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so you can correct Grant in real time. <laughs> I, I need the help. Yeah. And, and I would say if you, you want to follow us on our socials, um, check us out at Star Trek pod. Um, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, there are lots of ways where you can interact with us. And we will be covering Star Trek Lower Decks uh, weekly when it returns in August next month, 12. Yep. August 12th. So uh, we'll be covering that Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Central. Find us at StarTrekPod.co. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, thanks, y'all, for, for being on the panel um, and, and talking about your uh, characters that mean a lot to you with me. I appreciate you sharing. Um, and thank you to everyone who joined us this evening. Uh, we hope... This panel inspired you to find some more Trek fans to bond with. I, I don't think there's a lack of them in the comments that you can make some connections with. And until we meet again, live long and prosper.